This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein, the show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. So if you're watching the news right now, uh, which obviously you are because you're into shows like this, <laughs> you're just going, I just, I can't, I don't want, there's so much, so fast. But guess what? This is what massive growth looks like. This is what global enlightenment looks like. This is this is what life, what change being ushered in looks like. This is what the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind looks like. And one component of it, in particular, which I know if you're a political geek like me, a democracy geek, uh, you'll be glad is happening, is that political tri- political tribalism is in its final days. Now, it's not going to totally go away entirely. Uh, There will always be some folks who will support their party or their religion or whatever group or institution or ideology that they identify with. And don't forget, they're identifying with it. They see that as part of them, that that if my tribe's wrong, I'm wrong. If my tribe's invalid, I'm invalid. That's the kind of attachment people have. Now, that will always be there. And this is the kind of tribalism attachment to the point where... Uh, as we're seeing, a, a God-fearing Christian will elect a or a blasphemous, lying pedophile <laughs> over a thoughtful, decent Christian, actual Christian candidate, because that person failed to proclaim their loyalty to the tribe, whether that tribe is Republicans or Democrats or a religion or what have you. Uh, there will be those among the faithful who call themselves the faithful who will vote for the devil over their own prophets or saviors or heroes, if that devil has sworn to their tribe and that the other person, whether even if he's Jesus uh, in the race, has chosen to associate with the perceived enemy. We know these folks exist. They will always exist, all right? And uh, because, you know, we shouldn't love our enemy, right? Why would we we love thy enemy? Where's that written? Um, They will exist. In fact, I saw a, a billboard the other day. It was amazing. There's a, there's a real wave of of redefining, especially religion. I've seen so many Christians saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> what is this? What do we believe in? And then the billboard said, real Christians love thy enemy. Isn't that kind of powerful? But that kind of tribalism is waning. Uh, it won't be gone, but it is about to be relegated to an inconsequential segment of the citizenry. It already is. It will be an impotent minority. Uh, it was so just overwhelmed by the broader, growing, expanding, evolving electorate. And man, is it evolving. We got this, America. Even especially on the, on the religion part. You know, there's a, a t-shirt I, I bought for one of my relatives that says, uh, Keep Christ in Christmas, right? And you hear about this. It's the holiday. People say happy holidays. Uh, by the way, for those who are upset by happy holidays, the word ho- holy days, that's where the word comes from. Holy days. Happy holy days. We just made it holidays because we altered the accent of it over time. So when someone says happy holidays, they're actually saying Merry Christmas in their own way. Anyway, keep Christ in Christmas, the t-shirt says. It says, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, welcome immigrants, forgive others, 
embrace outsiders, share with those in need, advocate for the marginalized, love that, confront those abusing power, like the Pharaoh, remember, supposed to go against the Pharaoh, and value others' religions. That's a t-shirt. Gosh darn it. Uh, You can look it up. But Teespring has a T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G. So if you want to get one for somebody you know, uh, that was a shameless plug. They didn't pay me anything. I just thought it would be good, so I'm passing it along. But um, that sort of Christianity, that sort of, and I don't just mean Christianity in particular. Obviously, it's happening within every religious community, whether you're Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or Taoist or whatever you are, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, Obviously, people that don't even have a religion to speak of, they know which way is up and which way is down, and being kind is always better than being cruel. That's pretty much how it goes. But we've got this, America. We are learning right now. And I am exceedingly proud of our nation and how it's working out. Because, And I'm so proud to be in this nation at this time in history. We are the leading edge. And we are the leaders we are looking for. If that doesn't make you feel good... Uh, you know, think about it. It should. <laughs> it's confusing a lot of folks. Um, it's funny because it even confused the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, <laughs> the English, England's obviously, they, I love that we call him the, the most most reverend Justin Welby of the uh, Church of England, right? And he decided to chime in when somebody asked him about Trump and about Christianity and evangelicals. I got a kick out of this. Do you understand why fundamentalist Christians in America are so supportive of Donald Trump. Uh, um, There's two things going through my mind. Do I say what I think or do I say what I should say? And I'm going to say what I think. (laughs) Um, uh, No, I don't understand it. I really genuinely do not understand where that is coming from. Uh, I think we can have different views uh, on many of the issues he's raised, but... So his um, attitude to, to women, for example, you presumably found... Uh, abhorrent. Well, it appears to be, uh, as we all know, it's not as unusual as we'd like. Yeah, the sexual but harassment. It, it, it is completely uh, unacceptable. What will you do as and when he makes his state visit? Because presumably in those circumstances you would be expected to meet him, wouldn't you? Well, <laughs> I'd, I'd be invited to the state dinner. Yeah. And, would you uh, go? Uh, yes. Um, I meet lots of other people there as well. I meet, you know, I've spent years, I spent years and years involved in conflict stuff around the world where I met people who had killed many, many people. You know, part of the job is to meet people you disagree with Mm. and to testify of the love of Christ to them and to seek to draw them into a different way. The odds are, if I, it, it would be unlikely I'd do more than shake hands. <laughs> but you see, he's decided to love thy enemy. And he's not saying take the enemy and uh, you know, celebrate them and help them and enable them. He's saying love them. So coming up on Possibility Politics today, the tax cut bill moving through Congress has become a tragic ex- exercise in desperation and humiliation. I'm going to go to that. Uh, secondly, if you chose John Lasseter, Matt Lauer, or Garrison Keillor in your celebrity sexual harassment pool, you're a winner! Uh, plus, we'll talk about the other industries wrestling with lewd and lascivious behavior that will but kind of won't surprise you. And uh, we should probably look at the Trump meeting with Navajo Code Talkers and why he made the Pocahontas joke during the ceremony, as well as the glaring mistake hanging on the wall during the whole thing. It's going to be a good one. You're going to feel very good about America when we're done with this today. Thank you for listening. This is Possibility Politics. We'll be right back. 
This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein, along with uh, Juan Velasquez here putting the show together. Thank you, Juan. He's sitting next to me. And this is a place where we feelize our way to a saner future. And that's just like it sounds. That's a word I made up. At least I think I did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't try to take credit for any particular word or idea because this is one giant piece of consciousness. And when you come up with a good idea, I can assure you it existed in broader intelligence before you knew of it and you grabbed it. And when you grabbed it, uh, it might have already been grabbed by a lot of other people. Um, and that's how it goes. And that's uh, you'll understand. That's save that for another episode. But the idea of not being, or from my daily belief game, which I highly recommend you also listen to, which is on uh, this same place where you found this podcast. And that's just like it sounds—a daily belief game, meaning that life is what you believe, and what you believe, what you perceive, you believe what you, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're uh, correct. So that's uh, that's part of the more mechanics of life. But this is politics. Let's get into it. So and. This next awakening that we're having, having is over the sexual, we're trying to get our gender issues right, right? We're trying to get authentic and true and decent with each other, with the genders. And it's a tango. There is both blame and celebration in both genders and all forms of sexual per- persuasions and orientations. And it's up to us to look at our, you know, tend to our individual houses and see if uh, we feel like we're doing it right. Well, some more popped up today, like I just teased uh, in the previous break uh, or segment. Garrison Keeler. Remember him from uh, the uh, Prairie Home Companion? Long time. He retired a while back. Older guy. If you're not familiar, if you're not from that generation, you may not know who he is. But he wrote these great folksy things. Well, he just lost. He still had an, a, a public radio job in Minneapolis, where he's from. He's Minnesota. And they fired him. It says, Minnesota Public Radio is terminating its contract with Garrison Keillor and his private media companies after recently learning of allegations of his inappropriate behavior with an individual who worked with him. Now, he spoke up in an email to the uh, and said that he was fired because he put my hand on a woman's bare back, uh, which is kind of interesting. I'm not, we're going to get probably get more of, of, of what occurred there. But he did say, I put my hand on a woman's bare back. I meant to pat her back after she told me about her unhappiness and her shirt was open and my hand went up it about six inches. She recoiled. I apologized. I sent her an email of apology later and she replied that she had forgiven me and not to think about it again. We were friends. We continued to be friendly right up until her lawyer called. (laughs) He then added... If I had a dollar for every woman who asked to take a selfie with me and who slipped an arm around me and let it drift down below the belt line, I'd have at least $100. So this is pretty poetic irony of a high order. But I'm just fine. I had a good long run and I'm grateful for it and for everything else. Well, that's his account. I don't know what her account is. Uh, He's a clever guy and a clever writer and we don't know. But that was, was due to happen, right? As this sexual harassment thing ramps up, we knew there was going to be cases on both sides, like even Leanne Tweeden. You know, she alleged that uh, you know, Al Franken kissed her grossly. And, you know, that's kind of a he said, she said. I don't know what happened there. Maybe it was gross. Maybe it was inappropriate. We we're finding out that uh, Al Franken had a bit of a habit of, uh, you know, grabbing a woman's butt after uh, taking a picture with her. And clearly that's inappropriate, as my, and, and he has said as much, and he returned to work in the Senate and said, I have to earn my trust back, and I continue to uh, cooperate with ethics committee investigations to make sure, because there are other people in Congress right now that were paying off uh, people left and right, and they're in a lot more trouble. Uh, Al Franken wasn't paying women off. We'll find out. I, and I'm not trying to make any defense or accusation of anybody. 
That's the beautiful part of this. We're trying to figure out the context and let the cases occur, let the cases be made, and assume everyone is innocent until proven guilty, and even more importantly, believe people before you're convinced it's not possible, you know? Give the uh, victims' voices some belief. And that is one of the big differences that we've been seeing in these just these last few months since the Trump Access Hollywood tape, which he tried to deny. <laughs> Hilarious. Apparently, uh, around the uh, around uh, behind the scenes, not, a, not in front of uh, microphones, he's been telling people that the Access Hollywood video is not even real. <laughs> and so much so, it's gotten so much traction. Everybody sees, you know, that tape isn't even real that Access Hollywood uh, decided to put this out. We wanted to clear something up that has been reported across the media landscape. According to the New York Times, President Trump told two people that the Access Hollywood bus tape, the one where he bragged about grabbing women by the you-know-what, is fake. Let us make this perfectly clear. The tape is very real. Remember, his excuse at the time was locker room talk. He said every one of those... Of his words. Sorry, I got cut off. Every one of those words. Of course he did. For those who saw the tape, and this is classic dumb Trump. I'm sorry, Mr. Trump. Uh, if you want to make this go away, stop talking about it. Because <laughs> every time you bring it up and go, that tape is fake, people go, oh, what tape? The Axis Hollywood tape? Yeah, I remember that. Thanks for putting that back in my memory. This is a consciousness-based universe. <laughs> you keep bringing it up, you're going to build on that stream of consciousness. You're going to make it wider and easier to access for people. So Garrison Keillor <laughs> had his little dust up. The other one was John Lasseter. If you don't know who he is, Google it, L-A-S-S-E-T-E-R. He is, uh, I said that way too fast for you to spell, right? Pixar founder, like Toy Story, Cars, uh, one of the gods of Pixar, right? Huge Disney Pixar guy. Apparently, uh, he liked to do unwanted touching on legs, uh, kissing. Uh, it's interesting because they had this, this descriptions. He did apologize, sort of. He's a later apologized week, saying, "quote Being on on the receiving end of an unwanted hug or any other gesture, they felt. I apologize if they felt the cross the line." And a former executive who worked there said, "He's very tactile in a weird way. He would rub my leg in a meeting. It was creepy and weird. It got to the point where I wouldn't sit next to him in a meeting because it undermined everything I said." That's something that we men have got to understand. When you kind of pat a little woman and you grab her leg while you're talking and saying good job or something, that's a nice point. You don't do that with your guy friends. And if you did it, try it. If you did it with a guy executive, he'd be like, uh, what am I to you? Because you're grabbing my leg to and stroking my leg to let me know that, oh, I'm not just a piece of meat. I'm also smart. Oh, isn't that cute? You know, it's things like this. We got to get, we got to up our understanding <laughs> So we understand what's what's going on and be fair and be representative. But apparently Lasseter also had a thing for the fairies, which are the Disney's fairies, which were young actresses, character actresses that portrayed different fairies in kind of the Tinkerbell genre. It was all part of the Tinkerbell, uh, uh, you know, lineup, if you will. And he would like to fly women of the fairies to New York events and this and that. And uh, and so goes the uh, quote. His, he was inappropriate with the fairies. He would have give them too much physical contact, including long hugs. Quote, we had to have someone make sure he wasn't alone with them. So this is coming out left and right, and it's a good thing because we need to get the context, right? We have to figure out what is good, what is bad, what is appropriate, when is wanted, when is it unwanted? And Because if we can't distinguish the difference, we're in trouble, right? This is going to go very poorly. 
Well, the latest one happened on the Today Show. As I said, uh, Matt Lauer, I'll talk about my opinion of this on the other side. This is a sad morning here at Today and at NBC News. Just moments ago, NBC News Chairman Andy Lack sent the following note to our organization. Dear colleagues, on Monday night, we received a detailed complaint from a colleague about inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace by Matt Lauer. It represented, after serious review, a clear violation of our company's standards. As a result, we have decided to terminate his employment. While it is the first complaint about his behavior in the over 20 years he has been at NBC News, we were also presented with reason to believe this may not have been an isolated incident. (laughs) Our highest priority is to create a workplace environment where everyone feels safe and protected and to ensure that any actions that run counter to our core values are met with consequences no matter who the offender. We are deeply saddened by this turn of events, but we will face it together as a news organization and do it in as transparent a manner as we can. That is the statement from our chairman, Andy Lack. And we just learned this moments ago, just this morning. As I'm sure you can imagine, we are devastated and we are still processing all of this. And I will tell you right now, we do not know more than what I just shared with you, but we will be covering this story as reporters, as journalists, I'm sure we will be learning more details in the hours and days to come. And we promise we will share that with you. Mm-hmm. And Hoda, I mean, you know, for the moment, all we can say is that we are heartbroken. I'm heartbroken mm-hmm. for Matt. He is my dear, dear friend and my partner. And he is beloved by many, many people here. Mm-hmm. And I'm heartbroken for the brave colleague who came forward to tell her story and any other women who have their own stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And we are grappling with a dilemma that so many people have faced these past few weeks. How do you reconcile your love for someone right. with the revelation that they have behaved badly? Mm-hmm. And I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> but I do know that this reckoning that so many organizations have been going through is important. It's long overdue. And it must result in workplaces where all women, all people mm-hmm. feel safe and respected. As painful as it is this moment in our culture and this change had to happen. Yeah, it did. This is a, a very tough morning for both of us. Um, I've known Matt for 15 years, and I've loved him as a friend and as a colleague. And again, just like you were saying, Savannah, it's hard to reconcile what we are hearing with the man who we know, who walks in this uh, building every single day. We were both woken up with the news kind of pre-dawn, and we're trying to process it and trying to make sense of it, and it'll take some time for that. Yeah, we're processing it with all of you at home, Mm -hmm. and we promise to be transparent and be straightforward and continue this important conversation. Absolutely. Thank God we're processing it. Thank God we're processing it. Sounded like a Matt Lauer eulogy, didn't it? (laughs) I mean, like... The, the questions, we don't know the answer. But here's the thing. If you know anything about, again, mindfulness, consciousness, it, it's not the answers we seek. It's the questions because the answers already exist. It's just the asking allows them to form, allows them to come into your knowing. And so keep asking these questions because we're looking at Matt Lauer and the feel that you heard the pain in their voice. What do you do with people that are both monsters and heroes at the same time? It's a very challenging question. And the the company obviously had serious dirt on him because he's got a lot of money. He could hire a lot of lawyers if they fired him wrongfully. 
And we're going to find out. Apparently, uh, I've been reading today that the reporters are just assembling stories right now. In fact, one came out about little little historical stuff saying, remember when how creepy Matt Lauer was with Anne Hathaway and things like this? I remember when Anne Curry was shoved out. It's kind of suddenly. And then he calls Katie Kirk before that. And there was rumor mills in the, in the gossip pages of New York saying the reason that Santa Savannah Fe- Guthrie was replaced or replaced Ann Curry, even though Ann Curry had 10 times the gravitas and experience, and is because Matt Lauer thought she was hotter and he wanted someone younger. And he was so powerful that he was able to convince management that, to do that. But now management is looking at it like this guy is a liability because if you've ever lived in a corporate environment, you know contributory negligence, uh, not responding to a uh, hostile work environment. That you have to do. And if, a, if people are complaining and there's a series of complaints and you don't respond, now the company is liable. And that is why everyone is reacting. But we don't know the answer and we don't know what to do when we have both uh, monsters and heroes. But it's happening all over the place. Look, one of the stories in another industry is in the massage industry. Okay, there's a a large company you may have heard of, Massage Envy. They have like 1,200 locations. It's a billion dollar industry. Apparently, more than 880 people say that they were sexually assaulted at their massage parlor. Susan Ingram laid face down in the dark of her local Massage Envy in Westchester, Pennsylvania one of their nearly 1,200 locations. It was their seventh session with James Dieter, a massage therapist whom the spa had enthusiastically recommended. By now, Ingram trusted Dieter, and she closed her eyes and relaxed as she worked her, her muscles. Then, without warning, Dieter ground his erect penis against Ingram's body. He groped her breasts. He put his finger in, fingers in and out of her vagina. She lay there, frozen in fear and disbelief until the session was over. After driving home, sobbing, she called the spa to report the sexual assault. She was shocked when the manager refused to interrupt the session Dieter was having with a female client or to connect Ingram with the spa's owner. I said to her, Nicole, he stuck his fingers in my vagina less than an hour ago. She recounted in court. He got busted for it. And she said she could not report, stop him. And she invited me to in to talk about my services. Of course, Ingram called the police. She didn't want to go in. They got Dieter. The next year, Dieter pleaded guilty to sexually molesting a total of nine women while working at Massage Envy. says, I need help when he gave his confession. This is happening. But now women are being believed. Or gay men or gay women or whatever. People are being believed. And, and the awareness is growing so fast. Watch it. Watch it with Marvel. Watch it knowing that this is how we grow and it will happen and it will get better. So coming up, uh, we're going to do the Navajo co-talkers and the tax cuts that are uh, basically a tragic exercise in desperation and humiliation for the Republican Party. That when we return to Possibility Politics. Welcome to Possibility Politics. This is the place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez. Put the show together. And the next thing on our docket is uh, the Republican tax cut attempt. Now, remember, this is the funny one that Trump, Donald Trump wanted to call the, the tax cut, cut, cut bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because, you know, I don't know why. But when you have a, uh, a barely an education and don't try to be very curious or learn. Sorry, Trump supporters. Um, I know some of you guys love him and you think he's a genius. Uh, you should look up who actually wrote The Art of the Deal. And uh, he had a ghostwriter. And he, in fact, it was funny, a reporter some years ago, I've been trying to find the clip because a reporter asked him about um, 
some of the book, and his responses made it very clear that he didn't even know he had, didn't even read the book that his ghostwriter wrote for him. <laughs> so it's like very bizarre. Anyway. Here's the uh, headline in the Washington Post that kind of sums it all up. Deeply unpopular Congress aims to pass deeply unpopular bill for deeply unpopular president to sign. (laughs) That kind of says it all. And Mr. Art of the Deal Negotiator is doing things that coming from this guy, this Jeff Stein guy who grew up in a family of Eisenhower Republicans, what he's doing to the Republican Party is, well, probably wonderful for Trump supporters. I think it's great because because he's blowing it up, but he's also blowing up his own attempts at the same time. So you might want to have a little hope in the in a course correction somewhere because he, he ain't getting it. Because if you if you believe as I do that the Republican Party is capable of greatness, which it is and has been in the past, as I do for Democrats, obviously both parties are capable of greatness, um, but they control everything. And they're trying to get this tax cut through, and I'm going to allow uh, Lawrence O'Donnell to kind of uh, set up how that went down. The President of the United States held a photo up today with the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader of the United States Senate to declare that they, the three of them, are incapable of governing. Mitch McConnell is the leader of 52 Republican senators the majority leader of the United States Senate. Paul Ryan is the leader of 240 Republican members of the House of Representatives, the majority of the House of Representatives. And they held a meeting today to publicly declare that among the three of them, the president, the Senate majority leader, the Speaker of the House, they are incapable of convincing all of the members of their party in the Senate and the House to vote for anything. And for that, they did not have one word of blame for the Republican senators who refused to vote for their proposals, and they did not have one word of blame for the dozens of Republican members of the House of Representatives who ignored Donald Trump and Paul Ryan when they cast their votes in the House. They sat in a room with two empty chairs saying, we cannot possibly govern without the guidance of Nancy Pelosi who they wished was sitting in one of those empty chairs. And they were saying they could not govern without the guidance of Chuck Schumer, who they wished was sitting in the other empty chair. (laughs) And and I just showed Juan the picture. Uh, Look at these dorks sitting here. Okay, you got Donald Trump in the middle. He's flanked by two empty seats. They did this photo op with a little name card says Chuck Schumer on one seat and a little name card says Nance Pelosi on her seat. And then beyond them, flanking them is Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. All sitting lonely. Okay. As a democracy geek, and as, again, coming from a household of Republicans, this breaks my heart because this is such political misstep fumbling. He, They look like sad, lonely, My those Democrats won't show up and vote and help us pass the tax bill. We're just so weak. It makes them look so weak and sad. They control the entire government and they're trying to make it sin. And and all they have, because they can't get their own coalition in line, because they can't get Republicans in line. And of course they can't because they're trying to put turds through. But because they can't get them in line, they're going to try to blame Democrats. (laughs) And and by the way, if you want to know why they, I mean, it's just sad. Come on, Republicans. Just to be a party of greatness that could, you know, build things and were progressive 
and saw the future and said and ran for it and went for it instead of just trying to they're so desperate. Here's an example of the emotionality of it because they're terrified. They know that they are electorally screwed if they don't complete something. But they also know that they're that they don't do what their donors say the billionaires that are funding them. And I know that's a common thing that's bandied around, but they've actually said it out loud <laughs> that their donors aren't, uh, will not accept anything less than a tax cut for corporate. You know, it's a funny, Noah, Trevor Noah had a great line in The Daily Show. He said, the best way to convince Donald Trump out of this tax plan is to tell him it's going to give a tax cut to President Obama, <laughs> which it will, because <laughs> it gives tax cuts to people that make tons of money. It gives tax cuts to everybody for about the th- first three or four years, and then it raises taxes on everybody, on the, on the, on the middle class, on 83% of the nation, but not the top 17% of the nation, of course. They're getting great. And corporations have permanent tax cuts while they have temporary tax cuts. And... Um, so they're doing this, which is just so embarrassing. And they don't even see like when the reason it started, the reason Chuck and Nancy weren't there, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, head of the uh, Senate and leader of the minority leader of the Senate, minority leader of the House, is because Donald Trump sent out a quote before the meeting that he invited him to where they were going to basically hope they could save him. But it became an ambush. And Donald Trump telegraphed to them that it was going to be an ambush when he tweeted in the morning, I'm meeting with Chuck and Nancy today about keeping government open and working. Problem is, they want illegal immigration immigrants flooding into our country unchecked, are weak on crime, and want to substantially raise taxes. I don't see a deal! Exclamation point. So he just tweeted out that it was an ambush. That they were going to sh- bring them in there and then blame them on the fact that it didn't work because they didn't bring votes when they can't even take advantage of their own majority. It is over for them. In fact, the the generic congressional ballot, which is the polling they do of would you rather vote for Republican or Democrat, is at a, like... 20 it's at a, it's an all-time high it's even exceeding what was happening during 2010 when uh you know everyone was so upset obama you know did healthcare and everything and, they, and they, it's far exceeded that and so if for 2018 they're an electoral disaster it's it's so in the meantime the other responses, uh, Pelosi and Schumer gave a jump state. First, first, Nancy Pelosi sent out a tweet saying, Donald Trump, he knows that his verbal abuse will no longer be tolerated. His empty chair photo op showed he's more interested in stunts than in addressing the needs of the American people. Poor Ryan and McConnell relegated to props. Sad. <laughs> and, 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 and Paul Ryan tried to spit it. He tried to say, oh, no, this is about them or whatever. And, and, and this is just sad. Listen to this. I'll just briefly say, I think it's regrettable that our Democratic colleagues and leadership chose not to join us today. Uh, for a bill to become a law, Congress has to pass a bill. And you control Congress. The president signs a bill. That means Congress and the White House always negotiate legislation. We have important work to do. We have big deadlines to meet. We have a military in need of our support. And that work needs to happen now. And I just think it's very regrettable that our Democratic colleagues and leadership chose to not participate because we have to negotiate these bills to get this work done for the people we represent and especially to help our military with these difficult situations we have. And I just hope that our friends in leadership on the other side of the aisle will choose to participate so we can get the people's work done. Get the people's work done, Paul Ryan. Find something that is supported by the, even if you just find, now again, speakers have used the votes from the other parties typically on many, many occasions. Even Newt Gingrich, Mr. Superpartisan, used voters from the Democratic side. So, but you've got to present a bill that Democrats would even consider for a minute. 
And you've got to present something without saying you guys are going to get blamed for it when it doesn't get voted on. <laughs> and we're going to say that you're terrible on everything and it's your fault. It's it, These guys are the worst politicians ever. And Nancy Pelosi, whether you hate her or like her, uh, I'm not a that I'm, I'm a medium fan of Nancy Pelosi. If I met her, I'd be very cordial and be sweet to meet her, and I would certainly compliment her on the things that she's done well. But she probably needs you know we need some new. But she is more experienced than both of them combined. It's not even close. And they, they did a statement, Pelosi and Schumer. Given that the president doesn't see a deal between Democrats and the White House, we believe the best, best path forward is to continue negotiating with our Republican counterparts in Congress instead. Rather than going to the White House for a show meeting that won't result in an agreement, we've asked Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan to meet this afternoon. And we'll see how that goes. But when we come back to possibility politics, I am going to play you a little clip Uh, a congressional theater of what this tax cut actually does and how they responded to it. And it's going to blow your mind. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeff Stein. This is Possibility Politics, the purple state of mind of the amber airwaves of grain. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for listening. Uh, Always, you can check us out on Twitter. Check me out on Twitter, uh, uh, Jeff's World Show. Also at um, Facebook, uh, Possibility Politics. If you want to chime in, give me your feedback. Tell me where I'm wrong. I love it. I'll take it. Uh, so <laughs> we're talking about the Republican tax plan. And gosh, again, coming from a Republican family, it's just, you, I have so many Republican friends who, who, who looked at this and said, yes, we've got all the God, we've got the government, we can do whatever we want. And I remember them talking about how on day one, you know, as soon as Republic, as soon as Donald Trump takes, you know, because Congress comes in, if you don't know it about like January 9th. And then the president takes uh, it comes to January 20th. And so they were going to from January 9th to 20th, to the 20th, the Republicans were going to put together the repeal of Obamacare, a new tax plan. They're going to hand it to me. They're going to sign, 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 sign. Here we are almost a year into it and we can't move anything because it's such a turd. Now you say, well, that's just your opinion, Jeff. Why do you say it's a turd? Because I would love for them to have something good. I want we need two. Or more, preferably. In fact, there was just a survey that said that um, of people under 35, 71% say we need a third party. Uh, as, you know, we do. We need some different party. We need some different choices. And this may occur. This has happened before. Uh, the Whigs uh, were replaced by the Republican Party, which became the new progressive party. And the Democrats were kind of the old guard back then. But the Whigs wouldn't let go of slavery and secession. They wanted states' rights at all costs, and they wanted Negroes to be considered lesser humans. And they wouldn't release that idea, and so they were replaced. They couldn't win elections after a while. They stopped losing elections, which is about to happen uh, for the Republicans. The wave of 2018 is probably going to be something like we've never seen before in the history of politics. It certainly is shaping up that way, where many, many state houses go, as well as uh, to Democrats and other people. And the reason is, too, is not just because the same old Democrats are showing up and they're going to win this time is because there has been a massive wave of candidates, people like you saw in Virginia. We talked about it in a previous show, if you heard that. Virginia was a, was a lesson in how a party gets turned over. Because if you don't like the Democratic Party, which I certainly have many, many complaints about, they got their problems. Uh, they are starting to fix all their problems because they're being uh, replaced by newer progressive candidates who are more focused towards the, the actual voters that <laughs> they're voting for them instead of a handful of donors or, or special interests or whatever they're doing. So to explain, uh, Representative Susan Delbeni from uh, is a Democrat from Washington. She was in one of the hearings, one of the few hearings where they were allowed to ask White House budget or representatives uh, of the Republican side what was in the new Republican tax plan. And 
what she asks and what the responses are. Judge for yourself whether you think this is a turd. A few questions. Will a teacher in my district who buys pens, pencils, paper for the, for his students be able to deduct these costs from his tax returns under this plan? H.R. Uh, 1 would repeal the above-the-line deduction for uh, teacher uh, expenses. Um, will a corporate... Which is, by the way, only $250. Uh, that's how much a teacher can deduct from offer taxes for pencils and supplies, and they say they, they will repeal that. Corporation that buys pens, pempel, pencils, and papers for its workers be able to deduct those costs deduct those costs from its tax returns under this plan? Uh, the general deduction for uh, ordinary and necessary business expenses by any business entity uh, is not, not changed, so it need not be a So they would. But yes. So teachers lose their $250, corporations can write off millions of dollars in pens and pencils as usual. Um, Will a firefighter in my district be able to deduct the state and local sales taxes that she pays from her tax returns under this plan? Uh, As noted uh, previously, the itemized deduction for the election of either state or local income taxes would be repealed under H.R. 1. And will a corporation be able to deduct sales taxes on business purchases under this plan? Uh, Sales taxes incurred uh, as part of the production of income would remain deductible. Okay, so, so they would. Um, will a homeowner in my district be able to deduct more than $10,000 in property taxes under this plan? Uh, uh, real estate uh, uh, taxes uh, under H.R. 1 would be capped at $10,000. Okay. Uh, um, itemized will, deduct, itemized will, deduction. Okay. Um, will a corporation be able to deduct more than $10,000 in property taxes under the plan? Uh, again, under the same, uh, uh, the same rule I was uh, describing as ordinary and necessary business expenses, the taxes attributable to earning income would be deductible. So the short answer is yes. Yeah, to the tune of millions if they want. But Americans won't go really up 10000 By the way, uh, Susan Collins of Maine is kind of demanding that those things be changed. Uh, so far, it hasn't happened, but we'll see. Okay. Um, and if a worker in my district had to move because um, his employer is forcing him to relocate his family or potentially lose his job, forcing. can he deduct his moving expenses under this plan? That, that, uh, uh, that above-the-line uh, deduction is also repealed, Ms. Del Benning. Um, he would not be able to. Correct, yeah. Um, but if a company, a corporation, decides to close its facilities in my district, fire its workers, and move its operation to China, say, um, can it deduct associated moving expenses under this plan? Or, stated another way, can a corporation under this plan deduct outsourcing expenses incurred in relocating a U.S. business outside of the United States? Uh, outside the United States or within the United States, those would be deductible expenses. So would you say that this legislation treats corporations and individuals in the same terms of who gets to keep deductions and who doesn't? Uh, I, I would personally not phrase the question uh, that way. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. more something that the, uh, is appropriate for the members to debate. Yeah. So you see, it's so clear. Republicans used to be about fairness. And if it gave a tax deduction to corporation, you should certainly have that tax deduction available to the individual. Duh. Shouldn't this individual's citizen's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness supersede, let alone be as fair as something that a corporation could take advantage of? So 
That's why this won't pass. And if it does pass, if they get some turd through, they're going to suffer so horribly electorally for it. And maybe that's the lesson that the Republican Party needs in order to get the reset. I don't know. I'm hoping the, le- the lesson can come sooner and easier than that. But uh, so far, I'm not seeing much of that. Now, pivoting. We're going to leave that one go because that one's going to be on the burner for a while. Pocahontas. What are we all talking about? Do you guys know what we're talking about? Uh, because the, the President Trump had the Navajo Code Talkers into the White House to honor them for their work. If you don't know who they are, they spoke in Navajo over radio frequencies during World War II so that the German, in fact, the joke was is that it not only was effective and the Germans and the Japanese, Japanese in this case, because they were mostly overseas, Guadalcanal and such, uh, and Pacific, the Japanese not only couldn't figure it out, uh, the Americans couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it, was, it was so foolproof. The Navajos would talk to each other and say, yeah, I just told them to move the, uh, the artillery rounds, you know, 100 yards. Uh, and so... They're heroes. Now, I remind you, too, these Navajo code talkers volunteered for the service during World War II at a time when the U.S. government, sorry, this was a bad part of uh, you know, the Republicans at that time, or Franklin Delano Roosevelt and then continue with Eisenhower, but they were forcing Indians on reservations to stop talking in Indian to stop using cultural traditions because they were trying to force them to become a quote unquote assimilated into uh, American American culture, even though they were the first Americans, they were first nation people. So I'll give you a little taste of uh, what's been going on there. Here's here's the Daily Show. T- Trevor Noah can best explain why the Pocahontas Elizabeth Warren thing. I don't think Donald Trump was actually trying to offend those Native American war veterans. I know it's crazy to say it, but he doesn't care about them. He saw an opportunity to feud with Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren because he's been calling her Pocahontas long before he met with these heroes. Pocahontas, that's this Elizabeth Warren. Massachusetts is represented by Pocahontas, right? And Pocahontas is not happy. She's not happy. She's the worst. I call her Pocahontas, and that's an insult to Pocahontas. Trump says Pocahontas a lot, which is weird because his favorite Disney movie is definitely Finding Nemo. You know, yeah, it's the story of a father who's lucky enough to lose his son. Now, obviously, obviously Elizabeth Warren doesn't like being called Pocahontas, which is why yesterday she hit back. It is deeply unfortunate that the president of the United States cannot even make it through a ceremony honoring these heroes without having to throw out a racial slur. Donald Trump does this over and over, thinking somehow he's going to shut me up with it. It hadn't worked in the past. It is not going to work in the future. Wow, damn. Damn, yeah. That was powerful. And I I know, I know that Elizabeth Warren thinks that's a rebuke, but I bet Donald Trump just sees that as an invitation. You know, it's just like, say all the racist slurs you want, Donald Trump. Yay! <laughs> but, but, you know, this whole beef between Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren is, is a tricky one to process. Because yeah. all the other nicknames that he uses on other people are self-explanatory, right? Like uh, low-energy Jeb. The man doesn't excite anybody. Uh, little Marco, he looks like a little boy. Uh, lying Ted, he says he's human, right? <laughs> we see you, fish boy. But, but... When he says Pocahontas, 
You might be thinking, wait, Trevor, I'm confused. Is Elizabeth Warren Native American? Because for a long time, she said she was. Warren came under fire in 2012 for claiming, without any proof, to have Native American heritage. From 1986 to 1995, she listed herself as a minority in the Association of American Law Schools directory. In fact, when Warren was a Harvard Law professor, the university was criticized for not having enough diversity on the faculty, so the school defended itself by touting Warren's lineage. Wow. How white is your college that when you get called out for being too white, your response is, nah-uh, we got her. (laughs) Yo, Elizabeth, come on out here and show these white folks what it is. (laughs) Now, okay, now, the way Warren tells the story is that it's been part of her family law for decades, that they have some Native American ancestry. And uh, while listing it in the law school directory might have hypothetically uh, helped her career, there's no hard evidence that Warren used it to get any jobs. Though, it's not like she got no benefits out of it. In 1984, Elizabeth Warren contributed recipes to a Native American cookbook called Pow Wow Chow, claiming she was Cherokee. Wow, okay. Uh, If you're contributing recipes to a book called Pow Wow Chow, you better be comfortable in your Native American identity. The problem is, in 2012, the New England Historical Genealogical Society looked into it. Right. And they found no proof of Warren having Native American lineage, which is problematic because she wrote for Pow Wow Chow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would be like finding out I'm completely white, I have no African blood, and yet I wrote the book Snacks for Blacks. (laughs) (laughs) So the question I'm struggling with is, is Donald Trump racist? Yeah. But but in his own way, he's hitting Elizabeth Warren for saying she was Native American when she wasn't. He was right. Something she's never apologized for sense. or owned up to. Right. And, and look, I mean, it's not like she's committed a crime, right? I mean, lots of white families from Oklahoma think they have some Native American blood. Right? It's That's one of those true. things people both genuinely believe and also don't question enough. Because let's face it, being part Native American is cool, right? It's just, but just part Native American. Like, enough that you're interesting at a party but not so much that they build a pipeline through your house. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's an interesting point. It's so good. You know, There's so much growth to be learned in that, too. Yes, Elizabeth Warren, she shouldn't have claimed she had Native American status. But he's also right, too, that a lot of folks do claim that uh, because it's cool. <laughs> it's kind of cool. But the, and, and yes, politicians make mistakes. They make gaffes. That was definitely hers, and she should have apologized for it. But... Uh, why did everyone react? The reason the white nationalists react, and he kept, re- and Donald Trump kept repeating the Pocahontas line, is because the white nationalists think that minorities have an advantage, including Native Americans, and that she was trying to get that advantage, which proves to them that there is an advantage, that being a minority is somehow an advantage. And so you don't get to claim it if you don't have it, let alone it's BS anyway in their point of view. And that's kind of why that was a hot-button issue. But uh, someone from the Lakota tribe made an excellent point. By the way, Trump is insulting insulting these Native veterans in front of a portrait of Andrew Jackson. And he was! He was right in front of the portrait of Andrew Jackson, who was responsible for the deaths of thousands of Natives by the way of the Indian Removal Act and the Trail of Tears. He and his men made horse reins from Native skin. 
That is actually that's why, they, and that whole that's why the the whole thing Redskins. Why it's such a big deal? Because that was the slur of the time. Meanwhile, she points out Pocahontas was a preteen who was kidnapped, held hostage, and raped by European invaders. Stopping using using her name as a racial slur, and how dare you insult these brave native men who risked their lives for this country? We're learning, you guys. This is how it happens. This is how it's done, and we do it here every time on Possibility Politics. Thank you for listening. This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 